This is Victoria, producer for The Felon File, a podcast on law enforcement history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains of the United States and beyond. Listen to in 39 countries around the world. Scott Lunsford hosts The Felon File. Scott is a retired American police sergeant. Background and intro music through purpleplanet.com Scott and I here at The Felon File Podcast would like to give a shout-out. A shout-out to Zach M. in the great state of South Carolina. Thank you Zach for listening to The Felon File. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Felon File. Of course, our friend Victoria is running the control board and recording this for us today. And as she said, I am your host, Scott Lunsford, allegedly a retired law enforcement sergeant, detective, researcher, writer, all-around wearer of many hats. And we are coming to you today, being recorded, of course, from the backwoods of a mountain in western North Carolina where the sun is shining and the birds are singing. And if you're listening to us from some other place other than the United States, thank you for tuning in. And of course, thank you if you're in the United States for tuning in and listening. No matter where you're listening from, get a friend and spread the word about the Felon File. Today's Shade of Blue story, we're going to go back to April 1897. A lot of interesting things happened in April 1897. Did you know the Aurora, Texas UFO incident reportedly occurred on April 17, 1897? A newspaper account states a UFO crashed on a farm near Aurora, Texas at this time, resulting in the death of the extraterrestrial pilot who was supposedly buried in a cemetery there in Aurora, Texas. Scott. You appear to be getting off topic. Stick with our main story. Yes, Victoria. Joseph Kelly. Okay. Well, there is also 1897, the Red River Flood, also in April of 1897 along the Red River. The flood that resulted in a very severe major damage to the city of Fargo, North Dakota. A lot of life lost, a lot of property damage. The river is estimated wasn't any way to measure it at that time. There were no measuring devices established along the river at that point. It's estimated that the river crested over 40 feet high before the water started receding. Closest to that was another incident that had happened in 2009 where the river also crested very, very high. Scott, you're getting off topic again. Okay, back to the shade of blue. Thank you, Victoria. 24-year-old Joseph Kelly, in April of 1897, he was renting a room in Summersworth, New Hampshire, a boarding house across the street from the Great Falls National Bank. Every day he would watch to the, as a gentleman, an older gentleman by the name of Joseph Stickley, counted piles of greenbacks, gold, silver, all kinds of cash. And Kelly, who was 
kind of in over his head in debt, desperate for money, began to imagine how easy it would be to just kind of walk in there and just take what he wanted. Uh, the image, of course, ended up becoming irresistible, and Kelly started working on a plan to rob the bank. On April 15th, Kelly went into the bank wearing a fake mustache and a goatee and carrying a revolver. He kind of chickened out, though, because of the presence of a woman customer in the bank kind of scared him off. Still, he again, a couple days later, put on his fake mustache and goatee and went back into the bank. This time, there was nobody else in there. Joseph Stickley was, though, of course, the cashier. He knew Callie, but the old man did not recognize him in the false beard and makeup. Kelly ordered some stamps from the cashier and when Stickley went into the cash room. Kelly followed him and shut the glass door behind him. Taking Stickley by surprise, who started shouting for help and shouting for the police because he realized he was being robbed. Kelly struck him on the head several times with a blackjack. And finally, Stickley fell to the floor and Kelly cut his throat with a razor. Kelly quickly stuffed $4,125 in bills and coins into a pillowcase that he had brought with him. Now looking at $4,125 in 1897 cash, if we try to bring that up into the future, into today's value, that's the same purchasing power today as $155,643.33. That's a nice little run of money up there. Now, the door to the cashier's room had locked when it was shut, so Kelly ended up having to break the glass in order to get out. The bank, fortunately for Kelly, was still empty, and he was able to leave unobserved. He returned to his boarding house, ate some dinner, paid his landlady $28 that he owed her, then transferred the rest of the money to a suitcase and went to the train depot. Now the body of Joseph Stickley, the unfortunate cashier there at the bank, lay undiscovered for over two hours. When police realized what had happened, Joseph Kelly, for some reason, was considered a suspect pretty quickly, but they thought that he had accomplices, partners in the job. They also thought that he would probably make a run for his home state of Massachusetts. As word spread, two men ended up being arrested in Waltham, Massachusetts and held in connection with the Summersworth robbery until both of them were able to prove that, geez, we had never even left town that day. Joseph Kelly had actually grown up in Amsbury, Massachusetts, in a family of about 10 children. All of the kids were described as fairly bright and smart. His family told reporters that young Joe was a very quiet, orderly young man who was barely 10 years old when he began to turn wild. He had been involved in petty thefts, such as bicycle thefts. Ended up while a juvenile, serving seven months in the Concord Reformatory for breaking and entering. But those in Amsbury who knew him were surprised at the charge of murder, believed that if he was involved in the robbery, he had to be an accessory, not the principal. 
Kelly had not gone to Massachusetts. He had taken a Boston and Maine train as far as Union Bay. He took the next train for Corkshire Junction, Quebec, where he boarded the Halifax Express and bought a ticket for Montreal, leaving the country and fleeing to Canada. When the Summersworth police realized Kelly had traveled north, they traced his movements to St. Justin, Quebec. There he had paid a hotel keeper $10 in gold for a woman's dress and left the hotel wearing the same dress, saying that he wanted to surprise his wife who lived in Montreal. Ended up Kelly was found in a Montreal brothel sitting between two prostitutes still wearing the dress. And if the disguise was meant to fool the police, it really didn't work. Kelly was arrested by the Montreal Canadian Police Department and extradited back to New Hampshire to stand trial. Joseph E. Kelly was trialed in Dover, New Hampshire. On the first day of the trial, the jury was taken by train to Somersworth to see the murder site in Kelly's room across the street, which had been kept intact at the police's request. Kelly smiled throughout the proceedings in Somersworth and Dover and seemed to enjoy the attention he was getting. Now, in the Dover courtroom, the prosecution presented witnesses who had seen Kelly the day of the murder or who had seen a man with a mustache carrying a pillowcase out of the bank, something that probably sticks out in your mind. In addition, railroad employees who had spoken to Kelly the day that the incident occurred, they also testified, as did the Quebec housekeeper who sold him the dress and came all the way from Quebec, Canada to testify in the New Hampshire trial. The defense's cross-examination of Summersworth witnesses indicated that they might seek an insanity plea the way they were asking questions. And they probably would have been pretty close to being spot on with that. Kelly was described as boyish, he wrote poetry, and had tried several unusual money-making schemes such as selling artificial bouquets on the street and using a megaphone from the roof to, of a hotel to advertise businesses. Man was way ahead of his time. On the fourth day of the trial, it became official. When court opened that morning, Kelly stood up and said he was ready to plead guilty if his hanging could be scheduled for January 16th 1898. Apparently that date was kind of important to Kelly because he had made a contract with the devil that would expire on January 15th. Accordingly, the guilty plea was accepted, the jury was dismissed, and the remainder of the trial would consist of arguments relating to how much of a crime it was or the degree. The Kelly family in Others from Amesbury were no longer speaking of Joe as being bright and smart. Still, they said his Amesbury nickname was Foolish Joe. Joe had fallen at the age of four and had a rusty nail punch a hole in his skull. He was unconscious for three days. Following that, he suffered from fits and convulsions as a child and sleepwalking as an adult. Several mental health experts examined Kelly, who had all agreed that he suffered from arrested development and some other issues. 
a Dr. Charles Bancroft of the New Hampshire State Asylum for the Insane concluded from Kelly's history and from eight examinations he made on Kelly that he was incurable. His report stated that he is a child. I should place him mentally and morally at about eight or nine years old. He has the impulses and instincts of a man, but the judgment and capability of a child of nine. Dr. Thomas Waterman, examining physician for the city of Boston, also examined Kelly, and he agreed with, a, with Dr. Bancroft. Dr. Thomas Waterman said, A high-grade imbecile expresses Kelly's condition. Imbecile was a legal term at that time. He is far from being an idiot. A high-grade imbecile has all the impulses of a man but the judgment of a child. And I think I know politicians like that. Several other medical experts agreed with their colleagues who asserted that Kelly was incurable and that he wouldn't benefit being sent to an asylum. When Kelly realized the importance of his plea, it was a significant blow to his pride. He especially hurt when his poems were read in court to illustrate his mental deficiencies. Everybody's a critic. The Boston Daily Grove described his actions as thus. But when he found out that his lawyers were deriding his poetry, making fun of his lectures that he gave, and holding him up as manic, he cried in grief. The first emotion he has shown since he had been charged with the crime. To have his lyrics termed dogatrol and to be called a high-grade imbecile was too much for the prisoner's pride and he burst into violent weeping, covering his face with a handkerchief. The judges taking in all the information and facts ruled that Kelly was insane. They found him guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced him to 30 years in a state prison in Concord. When asked what would happen after his sentence expired, the medical men agreed that Kelly was unlikely to live that long. Joseph Kelly had made a remarkable statement in the Dover jail to a newspaper. Basically, Kelly says that his misdeeds are wholly and entirely due to a compact he'd made with the devil when he was just a few years old to serve his majesty the devil until he reached the age of 25 and declares that he expects and wants to be hanged for the murder of the cashier, Mr. Stickley, and he asked and requested that his execution be delayed until January 16th of 1899. Now, according to New Hampshire state law at the time, a man convicted of murder could not have the sentence of death executed or fallen through with until a year and one day from the time of passing of the sentence. Because of the trial and conviction date, Kelly under no circumstances was executed until about November 10th, 1898. So all he wants is for his lawyers to see that there is a stay of about 50 days beyond that date. That's all the man wanted was to live 50 more days so his contract with the devil would be up. 
I'm not exactly sure what his rationale for that is. If the contract is up, I don't think he was going to get into heaven because of what he did. His reasoning was that at midnight, January 15, 1899, the day he was 25 years old, he will be freed from his compact with the devil and can go to his death feeling assured that he would not be compelled to settle with Satan in the other world. Well, I guess that is a point. How did this devil happen to get a hold of you? The reporter inquired. And Kelly said, when I was about 11 years old, I stole the silver watch and hid it. I thought I was safe, but in a day or two, the devil came around and told me I was going to get caught. Well, of course, that frightened me terribly. And like a lot of frightened people, he decided to make a deal. Kelly says, I told him that if he saved me from getting caught for stealing that watch, I would serve him faithfully until I was 25. So he said, sure, all right. And I was not caught for stealing that watch. What had he to do with the murder of Cashier Stokely? The reporter asked him. Well, nothing except that by stealing everything I could, I was serving the devil. And I knew that if I did that job, he would be pleased with me. When asked a follow-up question by the reporter, didn't the devil suggest it to you? Well, his response was, no, I think not because I had not seen him then. I used to meet him once and ran away from him once. He had only been around to me about long time ago until I got here at Great Falls. Then he used to come to where I was occasionally and I knew he was there to remind me that I should be doing something for him. Several times I ran away from him in Great Falls and I knew a place where I could go to see a young woman where he would never come. But he would always get around the next day and remind me to do something. Now that's a lady that you need to find. One that will keep the devil away from you. One time he came into my room at Summersworth, and I thought I could get rid of him by knocking him down. So I drew back and gave him a bit of a biff. I'm not exactly sure what a biff is, but that's what the newspaper says. They're being forced enough to end the blow to knock off some of the plaster where I struck the wall. When I hit him, that seemed to scare him off a bit, but he came around in a day or two. I saw him right after I had killed Mr. Stickley. Do you know that door that lets you behind the counter in the bank? Satan was back at that door, picking up the money and putting it in the bag. Then I looked up and saw him at the door, so Satan held the door closed. Well, when I got ready to go and lifted the bag up, I noticed that he had his hands on the door and was holding it tight. So I walked towards him and tried to open it, but he just looked at me, laughing as hard as he could. And try as I might, I couldn't open the door. Then I stepped back a step or two and with an awful kick, broke that big square of glass. I put the bag through and after breaking through some other of the edges, I crawled through myself. All the time I was doing, the devil was holding the door and laughing his head off as hard as he could. But when I stood outside, he just started walking away. I admit... Kelly said, I murdered Cashier Stickley. I will not quabble about details, but as far as I'm concerned, I am ready to say simply that I did it and let it go.
Now with all of that, is it any more than fair that the state should allow me about 50 days more of life than I ordinarily would expect? My devil won't bother me after I am in another world. Of that I am quite certain. I only want to get away from this hold that he has on me on this earth. Well, Kelly was kind of indifferent to his sentence and almost seemed disappointed that he wasn't going to be hung, telling the reporters, well, I expected something different. I thought I was going to be hung. However, my lawyers are satisfied, so I suppose it's all right. After much debating, they determined that he was guilty of second-degree murder instead of first-degree murder. In Summersworth, the citizenry was pretty displeased with the outcome of the trial. Most felt that Kelly deserved to hang for his crime. A secret meeting was held amongst a group of men from New Hampshire and Maine to assess the situation. They formulated a plan to kidnap Kelly while he was still in the Dover jail and take him out and lynch him. Still, they kind of lacked the leadership necessary to execute the plan. Good thing they didn't get in touch with the devil. He probably would have enjoyed it. Joseph Kelly was taken quietly to Concord to begin his sentence. I do know that he did serve his time, and he was finally released from prison. And I have confirmed this by some state records I was able to locate, but I don't know when he died. He served the entire 30 years. He was 54 when he got out, possibly in 1927. Now, while he was waiting for the determination of the verdict, he wrote himself a will. And he wrote it in poetry. The will went like this. Hung by the neck until dead, it is very easy to say. And this is to be my fate in January on the 16th day. Yes, the sentence has been passed. Dead is all future hope. The people of Stratford County have got me on rope. Do not wish to make will, for have few bequests to make, in the shape of bloody weapons, which give for remembrance sake. The razor which cut the throat of the cashier of the bank, give to James A. Edgerly, lawyer of very high rank. He is, after all, all such things, kind of a souvenir crank, his office is in Summerworth, quite near the savings bank. To my junior counsel, Mr. Ryan, give the small blackjack, from which struck the kind cashier well-directed crack. The straps and chloroform you may equally divide. They led me to the awful crime by which the cashier died. As my counsel and advisors trust that you will see that after I'm dead, dissected shall be. Bancroft of Concord may have my body. If to experiment he feels inclined, he can then tell the people all about my mind. The last thing that asks of you, let no friend see my face, but remove me from the prison to Dr. Bancroft's place. And after he was through with me, cremated wish to be. If justice is only satisfied, it's all the same to me. Last will, 
and Poetry by Joseph E. Kelly. Now, I'm not a professional psychiatrist, and I don't pretend to play one on a podcast. But if you ask me, Kelly was a little bit on the crazy side. Well, that's our Shade of Blue story for today. I hope you found it interesting. Remember, you can check out our website, scottlunsfordauthor.com or felonfile.com for links back to the podcast or to some of my books that uh, you can purchase through the links there. And some of our stuff, coffee mugs, t-shirts, what have It helps to alleviate some of the expenses of getting some of these old case file records and court documents that aren't necessarily online and have to be pulled up by hand and a lot of times by somebody somewhere else other than me. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to come back in two weeks. We'll have another Shade of Blue story for you. Drop us a line. There's a link on the websites where you can make contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Or contact us directly at felonfile at gmail.com. Again, we'd love to hear from you. Wouldn't we, Victoria? Yes, without question. In the meantime, if you have the opportunity, help somebody out. Do something good for somebody or a group of somebodies. It can be as easy as... If nothing else, sending a couple of bucks extra to a charity that you feel comfortable with. And the fact that you feel comfortable with the charity, that's very important. And remember, there's all kinds of ways you can help out. And the more people that help out in various ways, the better the world is going to be. Victoria, I'm going to turn the control board back over to you. Close this out. And we'll talk to you guys later on our next episode of Felon File. Bye, y'all. This has been The Felon File, a discussion on law enforcement, history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and other parts of the world. For more information, you can go to felonfile.com or scottlunsfordauthor.com. Here you can find links to Scott and Num books and other information. You can also email us at felonfile at gmail.com. There are also t-shirts and mugs available. You can also buy us a cup of coffee. Or help purchase some of the research material and expenses it takes to do felon file. Click on the coffee image on the web page to do so. This is Victoria your producer thank you for listening. Have a good one.